Beardy and the Beast Media Club. This is placeholder intro song. Thank you for joining us for the Beardy and the Beast Media Club, a full spoiler discussion into a piece of media. We will not confuse non-spoilers with spoilers during a perceived mental decline. If you enjoy what we do, please consider leaving a rating or a comment, and join us in the discussion in our Discord. My name is Drew, and you should stop dreaming soon. Devin? I don't want to wake up. Today we'll be discussing 1997 psychological drama, Perfect Blue. So Devin, are you Blue Mania, or were you not a Cham fan? So... I've seen this movie multiple times. Um, I think this is the first time that I realized that. Uh, I think overall, the movie is done very well. Uh, the ending, I think, is a little weak. Really? Yeah, and it's... This is the first time that I felt that, I, I should say. And the reason why I think it's a little weak is it like there's there's enough there around Rumi that like they foreshadow kind of her involvement in it. But then there's clearly some things that aren't her involved that don't quite seem like her involvement. Um it just threw me off a little bit on this watch through. Um See, on the other side, I'm, it was my first watch. And throughout the entire movie, I was feeling that it was quite weak. It seemed like it was just having fun with scenes and that sort of thing. And it was the ending that pulled everything together. Okay. I don't know if it's the way that they like portrayed things. Mm. Like the, ver- the various scenes leading up to it and kind of like... The conclusion with the same room and all that. Mm. I guess it almost makes me wonder if I like having paid attention to some of these things again, knowing Rumi's involvement and all that. I think I should have paid more attention to the fish mm. throughout because when Rumi is Mima, she always has that ethereal ghost like she had that ethereal ghost like look. Mm-hmm. The one that that made me question things a lot more specifically was when I killed the was it the photographer with the pizza? Mm. Because I guess I'm not sure which room we were in when she found the clothes. I'm assuming it was her actual house because the press were there. Did she do this? Because like that, that's and that's really the only one that makes me go. I'm not 100 percent certain what happened here. <laughs> well, see, that's that's the greatness and the easy out the film has. Also, because of the switching it through the environments without giving you any indication that something has changed. Mm-hmm. I think I remember her waking up and there being two fish floating, and I guess for like people who haven't watched this or didn't notice i mean if you haven't watched it definitely go watch it and then come back and listen to this um if you didn't notice we're using the fish as the fish being alive versus fish being dead to identify which environment that uh, mima was in yes so it's entirely possible that that during that flash and that change in scene or uh, perspective hiding the bag in the closet to her even getting to the door might have been two completely different instances. That's that's fair. But there is also the circumstance. That, um, no, I disagree with that. I have to say that I don't think that I think that's actually one of the clear cut cases where it wasn't two different mm. circumstances. And it's because she's panicking because someone's knocking at the door. Yeah, but it could have been somebody completely different. Uh, yeah, I did not consider that part. It just, it leaves everything so vague, and that's why it always has that out, which I usually don't like in a film. Um, It's most likely that Rumi 
I, I think throughout this entire film, Rumi has access to Mima's apartment. Oh, 100%. So I think it's most likely that Rumi put that bag in Mima's apartment. Yeah. Um, I guess it's compounded by the fact that Mima had a dream of had a dream about it but i mean i guess that's the whole thing like this film is very good at making you question everything Mm -hmm. like you have no idea what reality you're in at any given time and there's like three different ones going on well there's there's the compounding dreams because there's the uh dreams that so there's like the waking life Uh, There's Mima's dreams. There's the collection of people like where everyone is having a shared experience. Yeah. And then we have Rumi's like waking projection dreams. Mm -hmm. So her thinking she's uh, Mima while stabbing the photographer. Mm -hmm. And then they, they play with that a little bit by kind of switching between the So I think in that instance, it wasn't that Mima was dreaming of the murder. It was that she was having a dream state, and then we had the murder of uh, Rumi as seeing herself as Mima. It's it's the way that the the last fourth of the film plays with that is what saved the film for me, Mm. to go back to what the original um, point was. Because until that... I didn't feel the tenseness as I should have Mm. until things started really going awry or the stakes. It makes you think it's just like this weird crazed fan. And then you start questioning, Oh, is it that weird crazed fan? Or is it like someone in periphery? Oh, is it actually Mima? Like it starts making you that. Yes, but you still don't, you don't feel the stakes. Yeah. And I mean, I think that just kind of goes back to the more, um, story structure that we've talked about in the past mm-hmm. where the stakes really don't show until later in a, in a piece. Cause I felt like there's a lot of the setup there. It's like, you're right. It might not have been not necessarily feeling the threats or the, the threats, the, the buildup there immediately, but it's a lot of good setup for the mind break that you see Mima go through. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's that, it builds the atmosphere and the tone of, of it very well. I thought it had it had that kind of like low pitch hum in the background, like of tenseness. Yeah, and then it spiked it really nicely. So uh, first with the the writer in the elevator, they give you this impression that he's going to get away. Yeah, and then he obviously doesn't, and then it just shows like um, the end result of violence. Mm-hmm. And it's like pretty significant. And then you go, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and then it goes back to that low buzz. Like we had a shrill shriek and then back to a buzz. Pop back again to one of our, um, one of the points that we were going into before. And that was Rumi and the fish. What I would be interested in viewing is, or keeping an eye out for is not just the fish, but also how often Rumi is handing or uh, having a drink of any sort, tea, water, etc., with Mima. Because mm-hmm. I, I honestly think that Rumi was drugging Mima. Oh, I could see that. Because there is this, this, so this movie does the whole, like, no scene wasted. Yes. And it does it very well. And I'm sure we'll talk about that in a little bit. But there was just this one scene where someone was dropping something in water. And you're like, mm. oh, that's just an antacid because it was doing mm. the fizzy thing. But in hindsight, when you start seeing that Rumi has this like a psychological break and it seems to be almost similar to what Mima was experiencing to a degree, was Rumi actually drugging Mima the entire time? I could see that actually. And is that why Rumi is able to bring Mima back and forth between the two apartments? And is this why Mima goes from have, like being high energy at the start 
to being low in, low energy. So originally you would be thinking, hey, uh, this person is obviously going through like a lot of like psychological issues, huge crisis of identity. Yeah. Um, like some various, very obvious things that a person in that situation would be having, but it just accelerates. But like the faked energy wouldn't even be there. A lot of people who are having that kind of problems at least try to pretend to the outside world that they're normal or how they should be. We don't really see Mima in the outside world. Mm. We see her, we're not seeing her socializing with people. Uh, in fact, she runs from it. So, like, she's grocery shopping. No need to put on a fake face when you're going out grocery shopping. Mm -hmm. No need to put on a fake face when you're sitting in the back of your car or just driving or, or that type of thing. Because we get that she essentially gets isolated once she leaves Cham. Or rather, I'm assuming that she was more social when she was with Cham. Just from her bit of interactions around the girls afterwards. We, we would also have to assume that like she's becoming isolated and not being made to be isolated. Yes. Because if there is external factors, which is entirely possible given the end of, ending of the movie. Um, it's curious. Like it's, it's, oh, it's, it's one that deserves a second watch for sure. I almost watched it a second time last night. <laughs> <laughs> I just watch it back to back. Like, oh, cause it'd been a while since I'd seen it. Uh, is there so much, I, I like the idea of the, the drugging. I could, it makes sense. Uh, and I could definitely see it. And I think there's enough other things going on with Mima that the low energy depression also makes sense. Mm -hmm. like that again, it's that glorious ambiguity that's in this film. What makes me think so, and to clarify the, the drugging thought is there seemed to be a lot of focus on liquids, drinks, um, the milk. Mm. Like that was even brought up that like the cow browned milk, you know, I purchased that at the store on the fake blog or whatever. Yeah. So it makes you wonder like, does that have a relevance beyond um just being an identifier of a stalker following this person around, right? Um Yeah, I took like the milk and such I took that as an identifier. Mm. Um I found so I guess I, I don't want to quite put thoughts in your head. So I'll, I'll just ask, at what point did you start to realize that Rumi might have been involved or was it not until the reveal? It wasn't. So this, so this is, hmm. <laughs> so it wasn't until uh, the reveal. However, because of the ambiguity and the way that they were portraying it like they were they were portraying the murders as having been done by Mima. Mm. that's what makes that reveal so good for me is because it was Rumi thinking that she's Mima. right so even though it was completely someone else it still was her finger quotations yeah it was the pop idol version yeah did you ever have any suspicions about who was running the blog I I th I thought it was exactly as what they wanted me to think in the film, which would have been I don't know what his name was. Uh, I think they just called him Me Mania. <laughs> yeah, uh, Me Mania. I thought he was posting things on the blog and then emailing himself. Mm. All right. So I had so I had two thoughts around it, and I think what it was really trying to make you think was that. Um, Mima actually had like split personalities mm -hmm. at this point. Um, this is done very well with the reflections and everything, her seeming memory lapses and such. Um, watching it this time, I realized, like, I again, this comes from the knowing that Rumi is very heavily involved. Um, there's only one person who could have got that audio clip other than Mima on the website of her practicing her, um, who are you line? Mm. I'm like, Oh, that is, that's good. And it gives again, 
shows that she clearly has access to the apartment because the details in that blog. I thought it was a nice detail that just popped at me when I was watching it this time around. But yeah, because it could have just as easily been, no, she actually had split personality, except she wouldn't have. Yeah, I guess one personality could know how to use Netscape Navigator. It's, I mean, <laughs> yeah, that is true. Uh, well, I didn't, I didn't ever think it was Mima. Because mm. uh, the way, the way that they ex- explain that, like, she didn't have a computer. Yeah. And I don't think at that time, like, going to the library and using a computer for the World Wide Web was, like, that big of a thing. Yeah. I mean, I did it a couple times, but I mean, maybe in Japan. Mm. 97. But even then, like the the time and the skills to actually put together a website of that quality, I don't think in a public setting like that, it just like it didn't fit. Yeah. So so I was I thought it was somebody else. I definitely thought it was me mania. Uh can't remember who else I thought it was. Oh, I remember my reasoning now. I thought it was me mania and me mania was just being like a weird super fan. Mm-hmm. Um, but at that point they were really leaning hard into uh, Mima was doing the killings herself as like some type of self uh, preservation thing. Yeah. So that's kind of like the mental arc that they were going on at that time. Mm. Uh, I was actually very surprised when me mania attacked her. Yes. But then when they pulled out the logic, behind it i mean he he must have had a lot of problems not to be able to like believe his lying eyes but mm-hmm. he definitely uh it takes some leaps but it it comes together good at the end yeah yeah i don't know why i vaguely recalled his interaction being slightly different but that's just because well i forgot <laughs> well that's a thing like it's it the events in a movie will generally rearrange themselves in time based yeah. on like your enjoyment of the film at that time. Mm. For instance, like a, a movie that you don't like or really don't like and you watch will generally have the scenes kind of merge and rearrange to be more negative than they actually are. Yeah. It's kind of like how for some reason Battlefield Earth is maybe even a little bit better than when it was released, even though, I mean, not a good movie, but <laughs> it's, it definitely got better over time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but everybody thinks it was like the worst movie ever. Those people have not seen the core. <laughs> I remember that one was on our list of movies to watch. <laughs> <laughs> so I, the way that the reveal was done for Rumi, I'm glad they didn't do like the whole flashback thing where they like show all the little scenes that like, this is usually something you'll see in like North American um, filmmaking. They'll like go back and be like, Oh, that scene, that scene, that scene, like all the little reveals, all the little, that's how you know he was a ghost all along. Yeah. Like for <laughs> recapping all the foreshadowing, it's yeah. like lazy storytelling. But then you realize like, Oh, the reason why her fish was di- had died is because she actually hasn't been to her apartment in like a while. Yes. Um, the uh, the mail manager having been like taking a shot at Romy for being like a failed idol in the past. Mm. Like, and then in my head, of course, like things like them them having tea or whatever. Or like the uneaten piece of cake, the that they kept showing shots of, yeah. Um, and then of course the antacid or whatever. Yeah, I think the only thing with the, I guess this would be a scene that might have moved a little bit because it, I think it, it actually could be a timeline break for that matter, um, because they showed the fish dead so early. Hmm. All right. This was before there was any any type of indication of tomfoolery going on. Which, I mean, could have just had her be forgetful. Because um, we also never see her replace them, but we do see them alive again. So, um, But again, that could just 
just as easily be a timeline it could, well issue or something right i wouldn't put it past the film like on a watch looking for timeline breaks i wouldn't put it past this film to have that as well but because of the ambiguity and the multiple mima rooms we we can assume with relative confidence that it just means that after that we know definitively this scene is in the ult- yeah. uh, the Rumi's room and one is in Mima's actual room. Yeah. It's funny cuz I I thought I remembered a different reveal for with the fish. For some reason I thought I remembered a reveal of like the tank being bad. Hmm. Because it like it never got cleaned out. But I now have no idea where I got that image from. Well, I, I like I have a friend who really likes fish, and when I saw that the fish dead, I, I was like, oh, my friend would never approve of this. Of course, this is before you realize, like, the significance of just the fish. Yeah. So, uh, I, I should have done this when I was watching it last night, so. It was talking about, like, the the kind of different realities that are going on here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't go back and compare it, and that's what I was kind of trying to look here. Um, when we see Mima at the end, mm-hmm. does she not look a lot like the detective in the TV show? Hmm. Or am I misremembering that? I can't find an image of the detective to compare right now because that was like several years later, right? Oh, are are you insinuating that this still might all be in Mima's head? Or in Rumi's head, or mm. adding another layer there, right? Oh, I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I get what you're saying. I just hate it. <laughs> well, that, that, that's, that's why it's like this is super loose because again, it entered my head, and I didn't actually like stop to take a look, and I should have. Mm. But it's just, and the reason I think this is because. One of the scenes in particular, when we had Mima was in, oh, it looked like a hospital type thing. And it was where they were going, who are you? And she's like, oh no, I'm this. And then it cut and did the same thing, but it was the action on the TV, on the TV show, Double Bind. Um and then just seeing those interactions and then kind of going, it's like, huh, she does kind of look a little bit like the, the other actress. Hmm. Because again, there's very possibly time skits happening here too, right? The thing is like at the end, the, the nurse identified her as being a famous person. So if we, if we were to kind of play with the hypotheticals for a moment here, uh, opposed to like saying definitively it's fact, because <laughs> I hate it and I don't want it to be. <laughs> um, it just, it, my, my reason, my reason why that I hate it is it already plays around so much with yeah. like the mental aspect and like locations and who is who that adding time, like actual time skips into it and um, seems to be like too much. And then if you go further adding, um, Oh, it was in the mind of a, you know, a 12-year-old autistic child in Chicago or whatever. I had the entire time, like, that just, like, it ruins it for me. Okay. Um, so I'll, I'll, but I'll play it as a hypothetical. Um, if, if it was all in Rumi's head, once, once she had lost... So it will take like a good, a significant amount of the events that had gone up to that point. Once she had lost, she would likely have re-identified to what she would perceive as the victor. Mm. So it's entirely possible that she would have then uh, like re-inputted or re-imprinted on the new perception of Mima. That's a chance. Mm. Uh, I see where you're going. I slightly disagree with that because it was mentioned that Rumi was a failed pop idol. 
But the thing is, she's she's the one who has gone through like a disassociated identity disorder. Mm. Like at that point, having her be able to okay. like like adapt in the long run. Right. I okay, mean, so if if you could say anything about people with disassociative disassociative identity disorder, they're they probably adapt quite well. <laughs> not, not to make light of like actual issues people have. Yeah. But, um, yeah I mean, that could be. But we also have, if this was in the mind of Mima the entire time, and she was going through like this big break, and I would assume that the roomy situation was actually a form of self. So I would assume that the stalker is real. Mm-hmm. But I would assume the roomy timeline was a self, like a mental self-preservation thing. Her trying right. to hold on to her innocence of the pop idol previous. Um, and the way that they play with some of the ambiguity. Um, did she actually visit herself in the, uh, like that mental hospital? Mm-hmm. So is she now projecting herself upon the roomie that's in the mental hospital? It's like, it's the reasons why I hate, I hate the even, I even hate the concept. Yeah. Oh, that's fair. (laughs) It's just like, I mean, I'm sure there's good theories, but I just hate them all. (laughs) And I haven't even heard them yet. That's fair. So, so just, okay. Just to clarify. So that, the discussions about Mima's break was just in the hypothetical. This was all roomy, right? Like, do you think Mima actually had a break as well or no? Um, while we're discussing it, I think Rumi had some form of, uh, pills for whatever her identity disorder was. And mm-hmm. I think she was feeding them to Mima okay. and not taking them herself. That's my okay. theory. Um, Okay, I can see that because I because I go and think. Um, I mean, I think Mima. It's clear that Mima was definitely having a break. I guess the question is, what was the cause of the break? Yes. Okay. And it could, the way that the movie plays with your perceptions, it could just, um, be that she was just generally depressed, not well rested, underfed, etc. Um, and that a lot of the perceived like larger depressive attacks that she had were actually some type of projection of what was going on with Rumi at that time. Okay. It's that ambiguity, man. I, you say glorious ambiguity and honestly, it's what props up this movie, but it's also the bad part of the movie. (laughs) Like it's the inverse as well. Yeah. Because... It allows it to get away with so much, just so much, but without it doesn't, I mean, without it, there isn't a concept. It's not a film. Yeah. It's a, it's a Decameron. It's a seven page something without that ambiguity. Yeah. But done right. (laughs) No, I'm not. Honestly, I, I apologize to the writers of Perfect Blue. That was a bad diss. This was actually, I really like how this was written. <laughs> so I, I take that back. What's your perception though? Because we've, we've, we've been talking a lot about like the way that I've perceived the film and what my suspicions are and even my hypotheticals. So what, what is your perception of what was going on with Mima and what was going on Rumi? Like in the same vein. So when I, I think this is why I go and say the ending is where it kind of lost a little bit. Because mm. watching it again, I, 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 I knew that Rumi had done, done some of the killing. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and I knew she had that break where she thought she was Mima. Um, so so that, that part was there. But the... I really did perceive a lot of it um, outside of the ending as 
more like um it was a vacancy is that what it was called where it was just her no it's not vacancy i can't remember where it is her having a complete and utter mental break mm. like this all could have happened and there would not actually be anyone doing any killing okay um, yeah and and the reason around this is is you see these basically we've got three kind of states of being happening. Mm-hmm. We've got the reality where she's depressed and, you know, the Raccoon for a dream scene. <laughs> Cause I got to mention it. <laughs> um, or the, the, the bathtub scene where it's like, clearly she's breaking. It's like, no, of course I didn't want to do this. Right. So that's the reality. That's where her breaks happening. Cause that's when you, when she really starts losing it. Um, then you've kind of got the work persona um, where she's on stage, she's acting. Um, and that storyline also is very much following the main storyline. Mm-hmm. Right. And then you've got the uh, fugue states where it's like, are we in reality? Are we acting? Are we somewhere else? And I honestly felt that, that that that's why I feel like the ending felt that little bit weak because it took away that ambiguity a bit. It's like, oh, well, that was roomy. And except again in the pizza delivery ones, like, but what happened there? Like, and or did Mima actually kill the stalker? Because there was no blood there, but there sure was blood when you see his body with the uh, director producer at the end. Right. Like, so did Rumi actually get rid of the stalker fan? Well, it was, uh, uh, it it was the other manager and both of them had one eye poked out. Yeah. Right. So it, it seems like that little bit at odds with like the pizza delivery guy so it almost would have been like having it all be almost for it all being in her head hmm well i mean it it sounds at least the at least the way that it's that you've explained it so far to me it sounds like less than it being weak more that it was unappealing and not which not how you would want it to end that's very fair. Because um, when we start, when we add in Rumi, it does clarify some things, but it also starts making some other things amb- ambiguous. Mm-hmm. For instance, it's it seems a lot of the time, like the uh, the staged assault scene. Yeah, it honestly, the way that it was pr- portrayed seems like that she was okay with it and they even made a effort to show that the other actor like was even making sure that she was comfortable and apologized yeah during it so that that was a very particular scene to me and then when we hit and the reason why i bring that up is it leads to the bathtub scene Mm -hmm. um so when they bring in rumi this is where we start taking jumps this is where yeah. we start taking leaps in the storm. We have everything becomes assumption. Yeah. And you have to think, was Mima actually okay with it? And was the bathtub, bathtub scene some type of projection of Rumi? What is the state of the fish? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, that's actually um, a really good place. The, that scene. And again, funnily enough, I'm using the, the TV show Double Blind, Double Bind, sorry, is actually what I'm using as the... Like the anchor? It's the best anchor. Because they, they explain it throughout. And like they even say, it's like, oh yeah, we're going to have this scene. And that all of a sudden the character's going to change, which is, which is what happens. So that's why I kind of like using that as an anchor. And I mean, th- this is where I'm wondering, it's like, okay, maybe it was actually we're seeing all of this and it was all roomy and that clarifies it because again, Mima did seem okay with it. She's like, yeah, no, this is what it is. 
like with with the um the staged the staged um assaults mm-hmm. right like again very professional no one everyone seemed to be there so yeah if we if we use that as the break and now we're completely roomy mm-hmm. like that would actually be oh so, i like that so what because roomy storms off upset while that scene's being filmed i want to make sure that we're on the same page because i think i like where you're going so i need to confirm yeah yeah <laughs> um for this a lot of the break would have to be all related to roomy mm-hmm. So Rumi is the failed idol. Is this like, so are we saying that because, how do I put this in words? Rumi is the failed idol and of course had her own career. So is she projecting the failings and the issues that she's having on someone with a similar storyline? Did Rumi have a, like an acting career? Is is Mima, is Mima, like just having like a regular life and a regular advancement career, and a lot of this is just weird projections in Rumi's head? Is that what you're saying? That's that's what I'm starting to starting to actually think here. Okay, right? I, don't, like, I, I, don't, I don't hate it. I don't, I don't hate it. Yeah, yeah. Like I don't think Rumi ever became an actress. I, mm. I think she she was using Mima to live vicariously with the pop idol part, mm. and she starts having the break when she's like. Well, I'm done being a pop idol. I want to be something more. Well, and that 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 would end up initiating a a break um, within Rumi. Yeah, because that's essentially like cutting that off. Someone who has like a one side codependency with someone yeah. like that. It's all of a sudden they're getting cut off with their perceived dreams. So what's interesting around that was it. I think it was after the storm off. Um, Mima says something. And again, I'm going with like the whole no scene wasted, no shot wasted. Um, Mima says, I haven't seen you in a while. So what I'm thinking is during that, that time, that like weird unaccounted for uh, roomy time. Yeah. That this is where Rumi like reconfigured the room and started accelerating with her weird like projection block. Yeah. So then what is what is so even then this still leads a leaves us with the same question we had before we went down this path, which again I don't I don't hate it at all. I, I I like it. Um I'm not convinced, but I could be, is the kind of thought. Yeah. It still leaves us with a very specific question, and that question is, what is the state of Mima? <laughs> this is like Schrodinger's Mima, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> There's a title. <laughs> is, is, <laughs> is the state of Mima using this, this new roomy, we're actually following roomy through most of it. Yes. Um, this is still a big transition for a fairly young person to be going through. I do think there, some of it is that navigating. She's not quite sure who she is because she's seeing Cham all of a sudden now hitting the charts, which they didn't do with her. So there's going to be that, that bit of aspect of like, Oh, did I make the right choice? And then it gets compounded with any type of question she has, even though she's okay with it. She's confident in her decision. (laughs) Still going to question it a little bit. I just had the dumbest and then, thought. And, you know, she happens to say it to Rumi, and Rumi runs off with it. What's your dumb thought? Mima goes into the office, and they're celebrating into the, in the other room. Mm-hmm. So there was a later scene where Mima was celebrating with the other two members of Cham. Yeah. In my opinion, for, at least for the most part, Mima seemed satisfied with leaving Cham um, to per- pursue something else. Yeah. Maybe not enamored with it, but at least satisfied with it. And I don't think she's someone that would be vindictive. Yeah. If she found that, what was it, number 83 on the charts? Yeah. I'd, I'm right about that. Just <laughs> It was about 83. Yeah. 
I think the natural reaction would not be for her to have a quiet conversation in the other room while they're celebrating, but to go and congratulate them. Yeah. Was Mima even in that room? Yeah. Was Rumi just having a conversation with herself? And again, they were both consuming liquid at that time. Mm-hmm. So it's like, ugh. <laughs> like and, and, actually and, and, pulling at my hair in real life yeah. right now. He is. Can confirm. <laughs> <laughs> like, he... Yeah, because like, she was so confident. And, like, and as you said, may, might not be... You know, might be struggling with the decision or whatever, but she was confident in her decisions. Mm. Right? She knew what she was doing each and every time. And because you're right, like, why wasn't she in that room? She she should have been in that room celebrating with them. But then she um, celebrates later with them. Exactly. Because hey, she's that type of person. <laughs> or Wait, at least did she? she comes across. I think I think she did. Is there a poster on the wall? <laughs> Was it Rumi celebrating oh. with them? Oh, yeah, it could have been. Yeah, it could have been. <laughs> yeah, it, so I guess to kind of go back to the Schrodinger's Mima. <laughs> um, In this case, think- Schrodinger's Mima would be like, is she crazy? Is she not? Or does she even exist in that state? So... I think she was still having some identity issues. Oh, for sure. I And I, I maintain and, no matter what version of Mima, there's depression there. Yes. Completely agree. Um, and definitely having some identity issues, definitely finding herself. I would like to propose that because she actually sees Rumi's like, severe break, that's why she finds herself and figures out who she is. It's not because it helped snap her back into reality, but just kind of helped her grow that little bit more. I don't know. I mean, I see where you're coming from for that. I mean, obviously when someone goes through something hard, oftentimes they can come out of it very, a lot more firm than they were Mm -hmm. before. A lot yeah. more resolute, I guess you can say. Yeah, keep in mind, she was attacked by, like, two two people. Yeah. Both with very pointy objects. Yes. <laughs> um, so, if we maintain the, the world in which Rumi was the crazy one and was at least orchestrating killing, the killing, um, the fact that me Mania and Rumi both attacked Mima would mean I see only two situations a person can come out of that is is either scared of everything yeah. or stronger than ever before. Yeah. Um and it definitely came out more resolute in what her identity is and like I bet you she walks confidently during a dark down a dark alleyway kind of thing. Yeah. yeah I mean it's also exactly. It's also Japan which isn't really known for like having that violent of a like dark alley street life. Yeah, you say that like you weren't attacked twice in a night. <laughs> <laughs> Stabbed multiple times. <laughs> Maybe I was the one doing the stabbing. Do, do you have a pop idol costume hiding back there? <laughs> Don't even know my name. You would know that it's Devmania. <laughs> stab, stab, stab. Well, you're the person who told me you'd like to be love knifed at one point. Ha! <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> Wait, that, in that case, it would be me doing the love knifing. But to get back on track, uh, no, please don't stab me. I do not want that. Um, <laughs> I do. I, I do like in a certain light because you can't 
you can't say, at least I feel like you can't say things definitively about this film. Mm -hmm. There's a few pieces that we know for certain that are in very specific places. Um, and there's a lot of assumption because of that ambiguity. But what I do like is if we, if we assume that the TV show is the anchor and is the most stable and real part of it, I do like how they kind of use that as some of the major foreshadowing mm. throughout the film. Like even, even when it comes down to talking with the writer, it's like, who's the, who's the murderer going to be? Oh, we can't tell you. And then it's like, oh, I don't know. And I have no idea who it's going to be. It's like, I got a few ideas, but yeah. They, they use the, they use double bind very effectively. Hmm in that regards. Um, again, it's just interesting to have the fictional show be the anchor. I, I appreciate how well it was done there. Um, it's yeah, kind it's... of like to the, and it was definitely getting more and more on the nose as it was progressing through. Um, it makes me, it makes me wonder, um, but is it the anchor? No, just, is the whole? It would have to be. So in my brain, I just like had an entire conversation, of course, with myself, <laughs> much much like Mima was with her inner monologue, and much like Remy was having with, uh, I don't know, because <laughs> <laughs> um, I was wondering if the photo shoot and the photographer were actually in the TV show and not in the real world. Because they had that scene where they're like, hey, do you want to be a model? But that was actually part of the TV show. Okay, so I think I think there's a couple aspects here. So and this is where I was talking about, like, there's kind of basically got three realities happening mm -hmm. all the time here. So the character Mima was playing in the TV show wasn't a pop idol. She was a model. Mm. But I think that they did do a photo shoot because stars do photo shoots. Because we had stalker fan go and buy up all the magazines. Well, see, that's what the conclusion of my like inner conversation that I just had with myself was. That, okay. Uh, star stalker fan um, bought up all the magazines, but this is why I kind of watch want to watch again because there's just so many questions. Were they were they talking about? A, like it could have easily every time that they showed the magazines it was like when people were like criticizing Mima mm. so if there was like negative articles or some type of issue with the show the stalker fan would purchase up all those like this is a like a what if so like oh, I'm yeah, just no, trying to I'm just trying to like explain why I had that conversation in my head Yeah. so what it was and I don't think this is it now but I'm elaborating for no reason um that's good to explore. Character in the show had a photo shoot that was taken advantage of, like revealed too much. And then uh, the character in the show who was having a mental break stabbed and killed the photographer. Right. Um, whereas, I guess technically related, but unrelated to like uh, a nude photo shoot. Me mania bought up all the magazines um, because of either criticism or something that was covered within the magazine. I don't think that's it, but it's just, I wanted to explain. I'm more yeah. on train with what you said, which is like, lol, that's not right. Lol. Yeah. <laughs> just more eloquent. Yeah. Um, yeah. And again, this is in the roomies break of, but this isn't how the pop idol is. And yeah. I think, I think that works because now, now otherwise the question is like, these who's dead, who's not dead? <laughs> Opens well, up mean, another whole chunk can of worms, right? Yeah, and I mean, like again, <laughs> I, I'd hate that. I'm gonna take a lot at face value, and yeah. I guess my conclusion for this state of being is just to lay out my perception. Then I'd want to hear yours, of course. Mm. Uh, mine is, uh. Still think Mima was being drugged, but I also think that she was 
suppressed. Um, I think that she was having some form of identity issues, but not as severe as what was portrayed in the film. Um, I think that Mima came out of that okay. And I think that Rumi as portrayed in the ending was correct. As in, she was the one that had a break, she was the one that was killing people, and ended up in the mental hospital still thinking that she was a pop idol because she had a massive break. Is my conclusion. Yeah. Um, I think I have to agree. Um, I, I am now strongly leaning towards that we're actually following we were following Rumi mm-hmm. as Mima a lot more than we were following um, Mima which explains why Mima seemed to not quite be there with things that looked like she should have been there for like mm-hmm. just knowing things that had happened well this um, is this is some of the greatness uh, greatness is a strong word this is something that the film did really well because I think a lot of the time where Mima was hallucinating with finger quotations, that was just them portraying an inner dialogue. Yeah. I've had those conversations with myself while walking there and it's like, I don't want to go here. I don't want to do this. You know, that's not yeah. you. Yeah. Like, why am I meeting up with this person? Et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, they were just, putting a visual to it yes for an inner monologue so um my entire anticipation for this is that at least in the first third when it appeared that she was hallucinating that was in her monologue and then after yes. that it's when things started going around whether or not drug theory is correct i mean I hope it was because it makes it more thriller for me. Yeah. Um, But I would also allow a lot of space or discussion around a lot of it being roomy projection. Yeah. Uh, I I think the first third is, I have no question that the first third is us following Mima. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, and again, Again, we get the hints of the depression there. He said those inner monologues and those inner monologues are going, it's like, did I make the right choice? I'm talking with past me. Trying to figure out where future me is going. Um, you know, and it just had, kind of had that talking to yourself in a mirror type feel. And yeah, I, I really think we're starting to watch Rumi's break. And I think that's actually what the real reveal at the end of the film is. Hmm. Is that, oh, this was Rumi all the time. And that really explains why this is the first time Mima's noticing she's in a different room. Or something as well, right? And seeing how far it's gone. Mm-hmm. Right? Because it's even possible that maybe she wasn't in another room all those times. Well, I mean, like... And it just... I'm sure you've been like this. I've certainly been this like this, where you're just like... Like the the weight of existence just yeah. crashes on your shoulders and you just flop on your bed and you're like, I don't care about time, I don't care about existence. I'm just like face yeah. down in my bed right now. This is like everything sucks, yet everything is. Yeah. Um so a lot of that so this kind of this kind of allows me to segue well while still bringing it up to break up the segue at least a little bit. Um, at least signaling call attention to segways. <laughs> signaling more at least than uh, the way that the film did it. Um, one thing that I noticed and really appreciated about this film was I noticed this almost immediately. This the shot choices and the feel of the scenes were incredibly like had that in, that live action feeling not an animated movie film. Yeah. And I think it's because this was originally being workshopped to be a live action. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of that carried over. Yeah. I, I, if it was done 
with more like anime or cartoon styled shot choices, I don't think it would have um, come out like it did. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I agree. I, I'm, I, the shots did feel very, is it live action? Like mm-hmm. that's a really good way to do it. Um, and it was nice because it was animated. It had that. It actually allowed the surreal parts to not like if, if we had Rumi hopping from light post or idol Mima hopping from light post to light post in live action, I think it would have taken us from the film. I yes. don't think they could have done it well. So the fact that they did this, as you said, live action, animated live action, allowed those surreal parts to, to flow very well. And just like it gave very natural expressions throughout the film with all the characters too. Mm-hmm. Like nothing felt. It, it, it's interesting that you say it that way, like with the live action. Cause one thing I noted and it, it stood out to me in a good way. It was like Mima's lipstick was like not applied on like perfectly. Mm. Right. It was just like those little bits of, we could see that a bit of like lip underneath the lipstick instead, which again, very much ties to that live action. Mm-hmm. You know, and it was such a, such a nice touch. Um, it's kind of like, and some of the things like, I mean, we we have our Akira sliding bike moment with the bathtub scene, where like that's iconic now. I mean, for people not in the know, they associate it with the um, how it was portrayed in Requiem, but um, some of the shots that they did. What was it? One of the ones that I liked was the idol fans and the media um, at one of the, the concerts when things were going on. Oftentimes in animation, they'll simplify background characters just mm-hmm. to make it easy um, to animate. Yeah. But when they were showing the entire crowd, no matter what the shot was, most of the time they were blank faces. Mm-hmm. And the way that they portrayed that made me feel like that was an artistic choice, not not only like an ease of animation choice. Yeah. Because it really made it feel like they were like faceless fans. Mm-hmm. Um, one, one thing that I really liked with the way that they chose to shoot things was uh, when Mima's getting chased by idol Mima slash Rumi, you're like, when you start thinking to yourself, wait a minute, how can Rumi be moving like that? Because it's clear that Mima's being chased, but there's no way that Rumi's going to be able to delicately jump between these things. And then that's when they hit you with the scene where it's the reflection of uh, Idol Mima is roomy like just pouring sweat in like panting oh so good <laughs> and like the timing of that i thought was perfect mm-hmm. you're, you're right like no i have to agree the timing was perfect it's right at the moment it's like wait uh, oh oh yeah <laughs> um like the pacing on that was spot on every time i've seen it it's like it's just at that right point um yeah, um, I mean, is it the, there's a lot of that no shots wasted. Um, everything felt like it had a purpose. Everything felt stylistic. Um, I really like your interpretation of the faceless fans. Mm. Um, and the only ones that get faces are like, oh, these are the fans that are there all the time. And they always cause trouble. <laughs> Um, one thing that I just realized, and I don't want to deal real back into like the psychological aspects and like the the weird hypothetical thing that we're doing. Yeah. But Rumi's major break at the end is when she donned a outfit that Mima had never worn. 
Mm-hmm. So she had taken the projection of Mima, and now she is running in a unique lane. So she's in our own rails with this now. Mm. Yep. So, so what made me think about that is the like no shots wasted. So I think, I think I hit, and again I hate it because I don't want to. I wouldn't want to add anything to this because I feel it would take away from the amb- ambiguity. But again, I feel like the intense ambiguity is actually a bad sign. Okay. Why are we feeling it's a bad sign? It's just too many gimmies. It just allows it to get away with things I don't think it otherwise would. See, I think that's part of like psychological horror, though. Mm. I mean, it, it's... You get, this has been entering my mind a lot more and more, because, I mean, obviously people compare this to Requiem, but I'm starting to, in my mind, I'm actually starting to compare this now to um, American Psycho. Well, I don't, I don't actually think this is anything like Requiem. I don't either, but people just think of the iconic scene and tie it that way. Um, (laughs) But no, but uh, like, again, a lot of that American Psycho, I don't. I don't think the ambiguity is actually letting it get away with things. Because just this discussion Mm. overall is a good example. We haven't let it get away with anything. We've just kind of, we're piecing it together without it having to be handheld. We did the same thing with um, um, Haruko Zumi is missing. Right? There's some strength in that ambiguity. I feel like this movie is like a puzzle that has an image on both sides. Mm-hmm. It's similar, but different. Yeah. I'll tell you what, though. Chen may have only gotten 83 on the charts, but I think Perfect Blue could probably hit 17. Yeah, I, I think it could be, I think it could be, uh, say, top 10. It's being a top 10. This is, um, honestly, I, watching this movie, it was, it was feeling very weak for me during uh, the first bit. Of course, if if anyone is familiar with a lot of the like Asian storytellings and like the problems that I kind of have with uh, the way that it's very back-ended a lot of the time. Uh, I was having problems with it, but in the end, having come out of this, I feel like just because we need to compare it to Requiem because people compare it to Requiem, two very different movies. Yeah. Um, I actually think this is a better movie. Yeah, like I would rate rate it higher. I take more from it. Um, I didn't have the same kind of like depressive episode at the end, but I definitely locked my windows before I went to bed. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I mean, again, Requiem, like both of these movies are, I, I rate very highly. Mm-hmm. Um, they are both. Both 100% must-watches. Um, if, you, if you had to ask me, like, if I had a top 10 list and I had to get rid of, like, one of the two, I would get rid of Requiem and keep Perfect Blue. Yes. And this is to say, it's like, I am going to rewatch this film. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, Requiem, it's, how, how do we say it? It's, everyone should watch it once. <laughs> um and respect if you can watch it more than once yeah (laughs) um this one here is is definitely a film that like i mean we've said it multiple times like i'm pretty sure we could watch it again and pull even more out of it well i feel i feel like i could watch this again and come up with a completely different theory and completely disprove my current theory well, I mean, again, I've, I've, I know I've watched this movie 
probably a good dozen times. And like, this was the first time that the ending again, kind of confused me. And then the whole we're following Rumi theory came from that. Me thinking the ending didn't feel quite right. Mm. Like, um, well, it's kind of like thinking about it, like watching it in reverse. Mm-hmm. I know Satoshi Khan has kind of done some other very surreal films, one of which is on our list already, um, Paprika. Mm-hmm. Um, so Zoe's done that. Um, oh, he did Paranoia Agent. Okay, did not realize that, um, which is another super surreal thing. Um, I don't know what the novelist for this um, has written or if I've seen anything else that's kind of tied to you. It looks like, yeah, the dir- the director definitely has kind of a type, like even Millennium Actor. Yeah. I don't know what the author has written, if they've written anything other than Perfect Blue. And I'm not going to easily find that on IMDb. Um, <laughs> like, I'd be interested to see almost what, if there's other stuff that was adapted from their work. Mm. And just see what's there. I don't know how much you're actually going to find for that. There's a 2002 Perfect Blue? Yeah, that's exactly what I was just looking at. With a completely different character. And I mean, again, there's another one I see in the work. The 2002 is... And it's an adaptation of the sequel of the short story. At least, um... (laughs) Well, I guess, like always, as we've discussed previously, these discussions often follow a similar track as the movie does and i think this one definitely did as we kept jumping forward and back and forward and back um (laughs) which i guess gives it at least time skip theory a little bit of credence Um, (laughs) with that this has been beardy and the beast media club join us next time where we discuss the film buffy the vampire slayer as always if you like what we do Uh, like and subscribe or join the conversation in the comments or at our discord later